Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Original Strength Podcast. I have a very special guest and friend this week, Miss Sarah Smith. And Sarah is a super strong lady, but also a super smart lady. And in fact, she specializes in pelvic floor health. Um, but I'm going to let her tell you about that. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. I am a huge fan, as you know, of Original Strength, and I'm just so pumped to be here. So. Well, I'm a fan of you, and I'm so much of a fan that I stood you up the last time we were going to do this podcast, and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that was just a miscommunication. And I'm, really, I'm really sorry because there was a guy on YouTube who, is, who has been on me. When are you going to have somebody talk about the pelvic floor? And I told him I had one coming, and he was all excited, and he, and he keeps peppering me. He's nice, but he's like, is, have you done that pelvic floor uh, podcast yet? So now, finally... Oh my I, gosh, I, that's I, exciting. I, it is exciting. Um, and it's a guy. So it's you know, which I'm gonna which is gonna lead up to a question. But so mm -hmm. can you can you tell me really quick what is the pelvic floor and why is it important for overall health and well being? Yes, I love that. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles at the base of your pelvis. So if you think about your torso as kind of like a can, right? The bottom part where your legs attach is the bottom of the torso. And then you have this really cool, supple, responsive, ideally hammock of muscles down there that attach to like your hip bones. They attach to your tailbone in the back and to the front of your pelvis, um, like pubic symphysis, if you want to get real specific. And the cool thing about these muscles, there's a lot of them. A lot of times when we say pelvic floor, people think like, oh, you know, a muscle. But it's a it's a lot of different muscles. It's a superficial layer and a deep layer. And they move in different directions. And they have a lot of different jobs. But the cool thing about the pelvic floor, I think, is sometimes we say floor and we think like a hard floor, something really strong and stable. And the pelvic floor is strong and stable, but it's strong and stable in a manner where it's more like a trampoline or a hammock, where it moves up and down throughout the day. And we need it to be supple and responsive and not like super stiff and hard and tight. So, so yeah, so that's it. So um, I guess my next question would be because I and I, I guess I've already spoiler alert already mentioned him, but do men also have pelvic floors as well? Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. Men also have pelvic floors. Um, yeah, everyone has a pelvic floor. Everyone has these muscles and they they really do provide the same function for both men and women and that they stabilize the torso, right? So they're involved in stabilizing your hips, giving you just enough stability. So your legs, which are appendages, can move freely and be like really mobile. They also support your pelvic organs. So for women, that includes the uterus, but men and women alike, there's the rectum and there's the bladder for support. And it's also involved in breathing, helping you to manage pressure. So it's a key component of your reflexive core stability system, which we talk about a lot. Um, in original strength, and it's such an important part of the body. So, so yes, men and women have them, and they can work really well, and not work super well in both men and women. The pelvic floor, that is. So, for for when it's not working well, or say pelvic floor dysfunction, what 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 are examples of that, or what is pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah. So, pelvic floor dysfunction is kind of this broad category that we've assigned to any time the pelvic floor is just not really doing its job as efficiently as it can. And so, for men and women alike, we can see any kind of leaking. So, of urine or feces, um, the pelvic floor can dysfunction by being too 
recruited too tight, too lifted, and not moving through its full range of motion. And it can also not work because it's um, lax and we, we can't really engage it. Um, so, so because of that, when you think, like I said, because the pelvic floor is like a supple responsive hammock that needs to be able to move up and down, it needs to lift to support your organs. Like if you're gonna jump, do a box jump, or if you're running, it also needs to relax fully um, to provide shock absorption for your organs as well. And so when, it, when it's not able to do that, like I said, we can have leaking of urinary feces. We can have a lot of tightness. We can have tailbone pain, muscle spasms in the pelvis. Both men and women can deal with that. Um, on the male side, men can deal with some erectile dysfunction and performance issues, sensitivity, discomfort. Women can have a lot of cramping, um, pain during intercourse, hemorrhoids, constipation. And then women more than men can also deal with um, pelvic organ prolapse, which is where one of your pelvic organs can shift out of place because that hammock wasn't able to give the support and the shock absorption that it needed to. Men can experience that too. Sometimes if you watch like a lot of YouTube videos, you know a lot about like powerlifting and weightlifting. They'll talk a little bit about prolapsing in the organs, but it's definitely something that we see more on the female side. What, what causes... Um or what are things that lead to pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah, so there's a lot of different things, which is interesting. In, in my experience, most of the people I work with are either super athletic, who have like trained really hard for a long period of time, and they, they've gotten into the habit of generating a lot of tension in the body. So they don't, they don't really understand that their body was designed to be strong all of the time and to utilize the mechanics of the bre your breathing. So you can be stable when you're when you inhale as well as when you exhale. But a lot of people in fitness get into this habit of tight. I gotta, you know, generate a lot of tension in the core, grip my glutes, tense, 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 right? To be strong. And so because we're always recruiting tension in the body, the pelvic floor ends up not moving through its full range of motion because a lot of tension makes it difficult for us to breathe fully with the diaphragm. And the diaphragm, which is this incredibly awesome muscle, basically just below your lungs at the base of your rib cage, it needs to move through its full range of motion and it talks with the pelvic floor. It's stacked directly over the pelvic floor. Like if we go back to that whole canister idea where if you think of your torso as a can, um, <clears throat> if you think about the base of your ribs, there's a top there and then the bottom of your torso, there's a bottom there. And that's the bottom is the pelvic diaphragm and the top is your thoracic diaphragm. They move up and down all day long together. And so a lot of times people that are super fit and athletic, they get into this um, habit of breathing up into the chest and using their accessory breathing muscles and you know having some a lot of stiffness in the neck, tightness, shoulder pain, all that sort of stuff. And, and they're not fostering that connection between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor because the diaphragm needs to move downward through its full range of motion to talk efficiently with the pelvic floor. So a lot of really athletic people do that, both because of their breathing patterns and both because of like, you know, just how, <clears throat> excuse me, how they've learned to be strong in the gym. Tension, tension, tight, you know. Not a lot of break, not a lot of restorative movement, not a lot of attention to restorative breathing. And then also you have people at the other end of the spectrum where they just don't move a lot and they don't necessarily have um, neutral alignment habits and balance mechanics. Because if you don't move a lot, the body just kind of learns how to cheat movement, right? It stops using muscles and sending neurological signals to parts of the body it doesn't need as often. And <clears throat> the position of the pelvis often gets either 
um, let's see, like changes and makes it a little bit more difficult to engage the pelvic floor. And so both ends of the spectrum can have issues with that. It was a really long-winded answer, but. No, it was good. Um, you're educating me and I like that. So before, I guess my, cause I don't know the, the whole story. Um, how, why, how did you become so passionate about pelvic floor health? Yeah, that's a fun one. So I was, um, well, first of all, I have like 15 years experience working in like laboratory based science. So I worked at National Institutes of Health, National Cancer Institute, worked for a while on my um, Homeland Security grant from biological warfare. I was a high school science teacher. Like I'm a, I'm a total science nerd, but in a manner that I like to really make complex science super accessible to people because I don't, I had to kind of train my brain to even understand it. So I'm sort of feel like a real regular lady that kind of was like, I want to understand science. I'm going to train myself to get it. And I did. And I worked in the field a lot. So but then when I started having kids, it was getting more difficult for me to do the kind of science that I like. At the time, I was like a soil. I just finished a master's in soil science. And it's just a lot of time in the field. And um, I decided... I would go to my second love and do athleticism. I had been an athletic coach in my 20s. So I started a business, strength training, became a certified personal trainer, and I was really just teaching women how to lift weights. And it was super fun, and it was a great way to stay strong throughout pregnancy and recover, and I was having children. But then after the birth of my third child, um, things just seemed wrong. I felt like I had never even actually heard of the pelvic floor. I had three kids. And it was at the end of my third pregnancy that I started looking at the pelvic floor because I'm like, something feels wrong. It just felt like pressure in my pelvis. And I was like trying to get answers. And so finally, I made my way to a pelvic floor physical therapist. And she was able to evaluate me and was like, oh, yeah, so you have some pelvic floor dysfunction. There's that term again, that catch-all, which for me meant my pelvic floor didn't really move. It was, it was stiff and non-responsive. My breathing mechanics were off. I didn't have great alignment. So again, like because I had rounded shoulder posture and bad alignment, it wasn't easy for my diaphragm to move up and down and to talk with the pelvic floor. And also I had some prolapse, so my bladder had moved. And unfortunately, she talked about alignment and she talked about the importance of breathing, but what I was prescribed was just a lot of different kegels. And anyone here knows about the pelvic floor, that's usually like the one exercise everyone knows, right? You have pelvic floor issues, you do kegels which is kind of like telling people, I don't know, I can't even think of a good analogy. Like it, you have like elbow pain, do bicep curls or something. It's just like, I, I, I don't know. It's just like, it's one very specific exercise and it's all about lifting and engaging the pelvic floor and kind of tightening it. And it's not always the solution for everyone because not everyone has trouble accessing their pelvic floor. A lot of people have trouble um, moving their pelvic floor up and down and letting it relax on the inhale. So. I worked with a PT for like three months. My symptoms got worse. I hated it. And I was like, okay, this is just not, this is not working. So I stopped going and I spent the next year of my life taking every course, every online course, finding every book I could possibly do. I'm like, I am going to understand this pelvic floor thing if it's the last thing I do. Um, and so, because like I said, I have a strong science background. I was reading like peer reviewed journal articles. I mean, I was finding the best information and and what I did really was just begin to understand the anatomy of the pelvis within the context of the whole body and how it translated to fitness. What I discovered was like the pelvic floor is a 
huge source of power, it lifts your body from the bottom when you move. So if you want to be better at your back squat, better at your box jump, a better runner, having your pelvic floor on board so that it is, again, lifting on the exhale and then fully relaxing on the inhale to help you manage pressure and give stability to your torso and support you, um, it it's a game changer in the gym, regardless of whether you currently have issues or not. So as I start to see, started to see that, I just I couldn't help but I had to tell everybody. So I started speaking out in my business. And this is like four years ago and not many people were talking about the pelvic floor. It's now you can go on Instagram and be like, hashtag pelvic floor dysfunction, hashtag pelvic organ prolapse and people come up. But I was like real nervous to talk about it because everyone's like, ooh, the pelvic floor. Like, why is she telling us about her body, you know? But so many people positively responded to it. So I was like, and, you know, and for a lot of people, men and women, there's kind of a shame around this issue because the symptoms, as I mentioned before, like they're kind of embarrassing. You know, if people feel like they can't control when they go to the bathroom or they um, they'll lose confidence in their body. And if people feel like they're dealing with hemorrhoids or pain and they never know what's going to happen and they don't even understand that it's related to what they're doing in the gym athletic wise, you know, it can just be it can be a really difficult like thing to deal with. So I just started speaking out more and more and I started sharing everything that I knew. So now it's been a few years of doing that and man, it's just awesome. But I'm always learning and a big piece of what I love to use with my um, pelvic health clients is the OS training systems because it's just a game changer for so many people. That's awesome. Um, and like, so I got to ask you because you brought this up. Everybody has a hand mm -hmm. or two, but nobody minds talking about their hands. Nobody minds using their hands. It's, it's, it's common to talk with your hand, whatever. Nobody is ashamed of their hands. But why is it like, and I, maybe you don't know, I don't know, I, but that we all have pelvises. But anything that is around, anything around the vicinity of the pelvis is like, is like taboo or you don't want to talk about it. It's embarrassing. You're ashamed. I, I, it's just the weirdest thing. But it's so natural. How can it be so weird? I know. I know. And a big part of what I've tried to do is to help men and women alike understand that everything that happens with the pelvis is related to fitness. It's related to strength. It's not a medical health issue, right? Like sometimes we do need doctors to get involved because we have, you know, different things going on that only they can help us with. But so much of what we can do to improve the function of the pelvis is muscular and neurological in nature. And then also there's this huge mindset component too that I think um, is important because a lot of people that struggle with pelvic health issues have um, a relationship with exercise that is very much like no pain, no gain, uh. never take, never miss a Monday. You know, that more is better kind of thing, more tension, harder work and whatever. They don't always have an appreciation for like what I like to refer to as like middle movement, all the stuff we can do in between sitting on our butts and like beating ourselves up in the gym, like stuff that I use OS to help people. I'm like, look, look at these amazingly restorative movements that make you feel good and make your body function better. You know, they, they're important. You don't always have to be like pushing so hard on your body, you know? So, so I love to talk about, it's just like shifting your mindset about your expectations for your body and what kinds of movement is value. And also understand that, that the signs of pelvic floor dysfunction indicate that you're not performing as well as you could in the gym and probably in your daily life. 
it's a big piece. But yeah, people, people are so weird about it. And when you think about it, you see the kinds of things people put on Instagram, like, you know, fitness world can be very much about like what your body looks like and how sexy you are. But then like, we don't want to talk about the real reality of like dysfunction in the pelvis. So it's an interesting thing, but I think it's changing. It is interesting and it, it has changed, but you know, it's still, I don't know. We, I don't know if it's our, our, our morality. I don't know what it is that just nobody wants to talk about anything to do with the, the pelvis. I know. I mean, I think part of it too is our culture is like very much into fantasy, but not like real and raw stuff. Like we'll talk about all the image-based stuff that isn't real but if we're gonna get real and raw and talk about actual things people deal with like whoa like people will dm me and they're like i don't know if this is tmi and i'm like no there's no such thing as tmi like give me all the information information because it's relevant you know like things like hemorrhoids means an inability to manage pressure a lot of times an inability to fully relax the pelvic floor and it's really common in athletes, high level performing athletes to deal with stuff like that. And just simply understanding the mechanics of the pelvic floor and devoting more time to breathing practice and balance movement, reconnecting, re-knitting the body can be a huge game changer for people. So the pelvic floor is, it's very, as, as you described and, 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 you know, we kind of, we talk about it in OS is, it is pretty much essential for overall strength, health, and well-being. And, and it's part of the inner core unit. So if you want to be strong, you have, you, you want a functional diaphragm and pelvic floor because they sing and dance together. Um, how important is it or can, it's important for physical health, but what about emotional health or mental well-being? I, I, I would imagine that people that have pelvic floor dysfunction, especially on the more on the where the symptoms or just like especially the ones where you, you they don't want to talk about it at all can that create some kind of mental torture or hell for them absolutely i think for sure because again it goes back to that confidence piece in your body and i think for a lot of people if they're in pain or their body feels unreliable and unpredictable they can that will just impact so it's so far reaching, right? So people definitely struggle in their relationships because pelvic floor issues can mean that things like intercourse are uncomfortable and undesirable and like something you want to steer away from. Being in chronic pain and discomfort too is just, it's debilitating for a lot of people. And the interesting thing I see as well is that, you know, if a pelvic floor can't move up and down, it's just kind of stiff and not responsive oftentimes because of alignment, how we carry our body, right? It's often tied to a posture that isn't one of confidence and isn't one of health. And it means that we're not breathing fully. We're not getting these full relaxing breaths. We're oftentimes, like, as we mentioned, breathing up into the chest. And that puts us in a state of the vagus nerve, the dorsal state, which is a little bit more like maybe we're in full blown fight or flight where we're like always nervous and panicky, but maybe we're not, maybe we're just in this, you know, if you, there's this thing called polyvagal theory, which is this idea that the vagus nerve that goes from the gut to the brain and controls what state of the nervous system we're in, whether we're in the parasympathetic, which is like rest and digest and cool, or we're in the sympathetic, which is a super important state. So we can manage stress and get away from danger. But like if we're kind of a little upregulated, not full-blown fight or flight, 
we, we can't really relax, you know, and on a biochemical level, breathing into the chest and that more nervous breathing, especially breathing through the mouth, makes our muscles more twitchy and puts us a little bit more on edge. We're like, we're less flexible. Our blood flow isn't going to the stomach. It isn't really going as efficiently to the pelvis and to the pelvic organs. It's going to the brain. It's going to the heart. It's going to the muscles in case of danger. And so we don't have adequate circulation. Again, we have like a more, our body's a little bit more acidic. We're more tense. And so we just see that a lot of times people on a, like their mood and their mindset is just like, they're not relaxed. And, and so that plays into it too, I think, cause it's just like, you know, there's a, there's an emotional disappointment and discomfort that comes with struggling with pelvic floor issues, especially pelvic organ prolapse. I think for a lot of people, like they just feel like their bodies have failed them because if you have an organ that moves out of place and it's usually the rectum, the uterus, the bladder are all three, you know, you can, you can deal with chronic symptoms every single day of your life, organs moving, um, pressure, discomfort, difficulty to eliminate stool and all of that stuff just kind of like really bums you out. So I think there's a lot of different reasons why it can be a big emotional piece, but so much of what I do with my clients is help them understand the physiology and the mechanics and how to confidently return to movement because movement is healing. Sometimes we just have to just have to change how we move. But then there's often a mindset piece too, of just being like, yes, I know where you are. I've been there. I understand it. But you have to choose hope and you have to understand that your body hasn't disappointed you. These are signs. These are red flags that there's room for improvement. We can, we can get better. We can do things. We can be in a more relaxed state. We can breathe in a manner that serves our body better. We can get out of this state of the nervous system and, and build strength in a new and different way. Um, okay. So that was beautiful. But just for the <laughs> sake yeah. for redundant. Um, yeah. Movement heals the body. So can pelvic floor dysfunction be restored back to good health, um, optimal health, whatever, um, full health? Yeah. So if you're someone that deals with over recruitment, so if the, the, the muscles are lifted and tight, then changing how you exercise and move and breathe and align the body can be really helpful. So for example, I see a lot of times people that can't adequately recruit their glutes or they're used to gripping their glutes, like always gripping their glutes and like tucking their tailbone under, holding their core in tight to be strong, learning to let that go and trust the body and utilize this reflexive core stability system of letting your, your pelvic floor work, letting your diaphragm move, um, inhaling and filling your abdominal cavity and movement and not thinking like that's going to be the end like i can't let go i can't relax my belly i can't like breathe in um can be a game changer and so a lot of times they can get better at relaxing the pelvic floor and they can move beyond pain um and the same thing if you can't really engage the pelvic floor if it's super relaxed and you have like leaking or low back pain um issues like that like core weakness, a lot of times you can get better fostering that connection between the pelvic floor. So you can improve there. The one area that tends to be a little bit more challenging to rehabilitate is if you do have pelvic organ prolapse, because once you have prolapse, basically the organs have moved, the ligaments that hold them in place have moved. So if you have rectocele, which means the rectum is moved, cystocele, which means the bladder, or if you have prolapse of the uterus where it's come down a little bit, then you might not be able to get those organs back to where they were. That being said, 
if you learn better how to recruit the pelvic floor to support the organs, if you learn better how to strengthen everything around it and breathe really fully and have good alignment and just be smart in your movement mechanics, then you can oftentimes continue to train. I mean, I have, like I said, I have pelvic organ prolapse and I'm stronger now four years out from that diagnosis than I've ever been in my life because, but it, but it hasn't completely gone away. I still have to be mindful of it, you know, and I still sometimes experience symptoms of it as most people do, but my body operates better now because of it, because it forced me to figure it out. So I think that everyone needs to know that there's hope. Um, and we can't really turn back time, but I think we can blaze a new trail and be strong and powerful and better able to um, move the body than we ever have before if we do the work and we, you know, we shift our mindset and our expectations for our bodies. That's awesome. Um, so is, as far as doing the work, what is the easiest or simplest pelvic floor restoration exercise you can think of that anybody could do wherever? My favorite, simplest, most important, most efficient, most powerful exercise you can do for pelvic floor restoration is just relearning how to breathe, right? So we, we do that a lot, you know, as we talk about how when we were first born, we used to, we breathe through the di with the diaphragm, right? We move that diaphragm that the thoracic diaphragm at the base of the rib cage up and down. We didn't hold our bellies in, right? If you ever, you see a little baby, their bellies relax when they breathe and their chests rise. They're not breathing up into their neck. You know, they're not like stressing out, hopefully. <laughs> um, and so getting back to that ability to, you know, breathe fully, fill the belly, get that 360 degree expansion of the rib cage. We're breathing into the back. We're breathing into the chest. We're breathing with our lungs as much as we possibly can helps because as the diaphragm lowers, it signals to the pelvic floor that it needs to lower too. And then they start, like you were saying, they start to dance together. They start to move like a piston up and down together. And it's so important because when you inhale, you know, you have this abdominal cavity with limited space and when the diaphragm moves down, it increases the pressure. And so you have to relax your belly and you have to relax your pelvic organs to accommodate the fact that there's a buildup of pressure in the abdominal cavity. And, and that's an amazing thing because that, that positive pressure protects us. You know, if we move, life doesn't just happen on the exhale, right? Sometimes like we have to move and do things and we need stability while we're inhaling. And so we have that relaxation and that relaxation allows, um, you know, that, that shock absorption of the pelvic organs. And again, it allows the diaphragm to move down fully and the pelvic floor and the diaphragm move together. And so being able to do that, I just find that a lot of people lose that ability to fully breathe, to take really good restorative breaths, right? To, they don't even know they're supposed to, that their lung cage or their lungs expand in the back. They don't understand that the diaphragm isn't just a breathing muscle, but by moving up and down, it stabilizes the spine and it helps to make us strong and make our core, that's, I mean, it's our core strength that gives us stability and allows all the other pieces, the arms and the legs to move more freely. So, so I think breathing is a huge, huge piece of that. And, um, and just getting really good at it and, and understanding that breathing is movement. All these pieces of the body that are moving, right? Like 
your core muscles, your diaphragm, you even have your motifidi muscles of the back move a little bit, your pelvic floor, which again is a bunch of muscles. And you'll start to notice the more you practice breathing that it's easier to get a really good breath when your head is stacked over your spine, right? And you can start to feel how like, if you keep your tongue on the roof of your mouth, you can more efficiently breathe through your nose. You can manage pressure with um, sound. Your, your glottis, which is in your, in your throat, controls sound. And so it's funny, if you want to play with breath, if you make noises that are really deep, like hmm, you can really relax the body. And if you want to really recruit the pelvic floor, you can be like, make high-pitched noises like we do with kettlebells, right? Sometimes we do the tss, that noise and whatever, and you'll feel. If you make that noise, like your core and your pelvic floor is like, okay, yeah, I'm online. Okay, we're doing it, you know? So so there's endless possibilities with breathing alone that anyone can do. And I made a course just on breathing for that purpose because I'm like, everyone needs to do this. And that's one of the reasons I love about, things I love about OS because we talk so much about breathing. Yes, don't, you have a, uh, is it, it's a free breath course on your website, right? Yeah, so it's called, well, it has two names. I know, isn't that ridiculous? It's, um, it's called Better Than Kegels, and then also um, Breathe Like a Badass. So so just to get this straight, it is yeah. so nice you named it twice. Is that yeah, how? That, yeah, okay. oh, you know what, Tim? I never thought of it that way, but that's, that's what I'm going to say from now on. <laughs> yeah, I got that from a guy in uh, Turks and Caicos, but you can use that. It's, it's, it's good. <laughs> I'm going to steal it from that guy. It's so nice. I named it twice. Well, I named it Breathe Like a Badass because I think breathing is just so important, right? And a lot of times people think of it as this wimpy, like, well, or, you know, not wimpy, but they're like, well, I'm not into meditation and I don't do yoga and it's not really for me. But like, if you want to be strong and powerful and in control of your emotions and a responsible human being, like a breath practice is actually a really powerful thing, you know, and you can tie it to meditation and to prayer and to quiet time, or you can just use it when you're in traffic so that you don't get road rage, right? Like it's a really quick way to tap into that more calm side of the nervous system, right? So breathing is strength in every layer of being then spirit, soul, body. hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I love that. But then there's just a lot of women in men and women in the pelvic floor community that that have tried kegels and it doesn't work. And they're like, so if I say this is better than kegels, they're like, oh, I want to know what that is. So two names. I like it. <laughs> so you mentioned a word uh, about 10 minutes ago. Um, you said you, the word was gut. You're also a gut health. Um, I would call you an expert specialist, uh, super smart person in gut health. Why is, why, why is gut health important? Oh man, I love the gut. So it's really interesting, the gut microbiome, that is the bacteria and organisms. So it's not just bacteria, there's virus and yeast and protists in there that live in our body confer so much of the health that we have, um, our ability to synthesize muscles, our ability to, you know, manufacture certain vitamins, mood stabilizers like serotonin, um, like I said, essential vitamins like vitamin K. If we didn't have gut bacteria, we wouldn't really be able to make them. And so when the gut is in balance, so when we have, you know, there's bacteria in there and there's, there's good guys and there's bad guys, right? There's like, we want to have a really good balance. It's okay if there's some bad guys in there, but what's happening a lot of times in modern society is 
industrialize food, agriculture, has a lot of herbicides and pesticides on it, stress, lack of movement, um, people need to take certain kinds of pharmaceutical drugs, they all negatively can impact the microbiome. And then the fact that we just don't spend a lot of time outside or in the dirt anymore, we're not getting as exposed to positive, um, the good bugs. And so then the bad bugs take over. And when, what we see is the bad bugs take over, digestion suffers, we get hormone imbalances. Um, again, our moods change, our ability to synthesize muscle, balance blood sugar. A lot of these things are super related to fitness, right? Like it's really hard to get good results in the gym if you can't balance blood sugar, if you're not getting the nutrition and nutrients that you need from your food. Um, if you're, you have this imbalance in the gut, what happens too, just is so fascinating to me, is that you have your intestines are lined with a mucosal lining and you have all these good bugs. They live on that, they live on the mucus. And their job is to maintain the wall and they're kind of like the gatekeepers and they decide what can go in and what can go out. Well, if you have a lot of the bad bugs and they're not good and if they're poking holes in the intestinal lining, toxic undigested food, different things that shouldn't be getting into the bloodstream get into the bloodstream. And so then now your body's always multitasking and you have an upregulated immune response where your, your body's just attacking things in the bloodstream that really shouldn't be there. And that can oftentimes lead to autoimmune disease and chronic inflammation and things like that. So it's a huge piece of health and it's a huge piece of fitness because by simply making some changes to your diet and or considering what kinds of digestive and gut health issues you have and addressing them, you can get better results in the gym and just feel better. And, you know, um, but it's definitely a problem that is becoming, it's, it's becoming a bigger problem these days for a lot of people. And unfortunately, it's very much tied to pelvic health. I have yet to work with a single client that has pelvic floor issues that doesn't also have gut health problems. So. And that was going to be a question, but you just you just wrapped yeah. that up for me. Yeah. So let me. So because the the biome is so important, if if a person eats all the best organic grass fed best pedigree lineage of food, whatever it is that they can come up with, but they don't have a good gut biome. Is that food helping? I mean, I guess some is better than nothing, but yeah. if they can't, if they can't assimilate it and digest it and absorb it, it doesn't matter as much. Right. It's true. It's true. And for people that have a history of, of gut health issues, sometimes having like the best foods, like, you know, eating lots of vegetables and lots of grass fed beef and everything, if you don't have the digestive enzymes and the bacteria you need to help break that down, you're not getting the nutrients, you're not really getting the calories from it. So sometimes when people are coming back from a long period of, of um, you know, gut dysbiosis, which is that imbalance, they do need to eat more processed, more easily digested food to get up your caloric intake. Because if you're not getting enough fuel in the body, you're not going to heal anything, you know? So... It's, it's important. And, and it's not just diet. Diet can negatively impact the gut, but a lot of times like, you know, drinking the alcohols and sugar, unfortunately, they kill off a lot of our good bugs. Stress is a huge piece. People can go through a period of stress and just be so, um, it's just so harmful and toxic to the body. It can kill, it can wipe out good bacteria. Again, that breathing piece that we talked about, if you're breathing fight or flight and you're 
blood flow is again going to your heart into your brain into your muscles and not adequately like the body diverts blood flow away from the intestines away from the gut during states of stress because it's like we don't we don't need to digest right now we got other stuff to do right and so for people that live in that state they're always just getting subpar digestion so it doesn't matter how great the food is because you're not breaking it down and it sits around and becomes toxic um, and it causes a whole host of issues for the body so so yeah that's a that's a really good point. How can one optimize their gut health or the flora or the biome and all of that? Yeah. So it's interesting because I think it varies different for different people. Some people have severe issues and, and they might have to do some testing and work with a, a registered dietitian and really look at specifically what's going on with them. Once you've gotten to a point where you have like holes in the intestines, some erosion of that mucosal lining you know, you probably have more food sensitivity. So you might have to temporarily cut things out and supplement with certain kinds of probiotics. So it depends. But some of the best things that everyone can do that is really good for the gut is again, taking time to breathe, that breathing practice. Even Who just, knew? I know, even just, I have dietitians all the time reach out to me and they're like, give me the link to your course. My clients need this because simply sitting and, and breathing and getting into a more relaxed state of the body before a meal improves digestion. It makes, it means that you release more um, enzymes, your stomach acid is, is better and you can better break food down. You have all the blood flow that you need to in that part of the body to help you with the, the digestion process and managing stress through movement. Movement alone in the research, this is like one of my favorite things, can improve the robustness and diversity of the microbiome. They have mm. done studies in animal models and in humans to show that one group moved routinely and one group didn't. And the group that moved more had a more healthy, more balanced gut that was filled with the bacteria that confer positive traits that we want, you know, like balancing blood sugar and efficient use of calories without storing too many calories as fat. So a lot of different things. So I think moving, breathing and moving outside whenever you can is great because um, vitamin D production is also essential for the health of the gut and getting outside, you get all this beneficial bacteria that are floating around. And if you get your hands dirty and you can get, you know, breathe in some of those soil microbes, that really helps to inoculate and um, foster growth and health of your microbial community. That's awesome. And like, I don't know, this has been so educational. So this is really great. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm learning and I'm sure this is going to really help a lot of people. I, I've got another question for you. Um, cause we're talking, like I said, you're a very strong, uh, lady and we're in a interesting time where, uh, everything's different, not like it used to be, but I have noticed on Facebook, you continue to, I don't know, put you continue to shine in that you put hopeful things on social media on Facebook, but many of those hopeful things are your faith and, in God. Um, do you, how, for you, how, how important is your faith in helping you maintain your health, your wellness, your strength, your sanity, any and all yourself, um, for you, can you, can you paint a little picture for that as well? Yeah. Um, my health, my strength, everything that I know, everything that I accomplish, everything that I am today is 100,000 trillion percent to the credit of my creator. And I just, 
I rely on him so heavily for strength. And so I can't help like during this time, it's so dark for a lot of people and they, and they don't have a lot of hope and they're afraid. And I know they're looking for answers. And, you know, in Isaiah, the Bible says, I think it's 55 or 54. I forgot Isaiah 54, maybe that my word goes out and it accomplishes what I want it to, you know, is what God said and says, and I just feel like I try to put scripture out there because it's, I know that it's going to accomplish God's purpose and the people that need to see it will see it. And for some people it will be a tremendous amount of hope. And for me, I mean, God is the source of my strength. He's everything. You know, when I try to do things on my own and my flesh, it's, it just crashes and burns, you know? And by that, I mean, like, it's not restorative. It's exhaustive. It becomes something that I'm obsessed about quickly, quickly things that are really beneficial for us, like fitness and health can become an idol and an obsession because we think it's all on me. I have to figure it all out. I have to do it perfectly. Right. Um, and I feel like God oftentimes is showing me like, I'm going to do it. Like your work, you should show up, you should do your best. Right. But like, I'm ultimately going to make it happen. Right. So so yeah, so God is just the reason I was able to dust myself off and pick myself up when I did suffer pelvic floor injuries. And God is the reason why I am able to find the motivation to get up every day and keep going even when things are bleak because we have a promise in him. You know, in John, it says that Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So there's literally nothing that can happen in this world that Jesus isn't bigger than and can't control. And so... I just want as many people to know that and know that there's faith and hope in him and that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When, when you know, the Bible says that the word of God, Jesus was the word made flesh, right? So Jesus is the word and we read the Bible for comfort. And it says in Hebrews that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like, he doesn't change. When the word was written and when Jesus was is with God, like he knew where we would be today, right? And so everything that he says and everything that he encourages us, it's, it's for corona, it's for times of financial difficulty, it's for times when we're injured and we're weak and we're sick or we lose a loved one. Like he knows, he sees it all, you know? And I think it's such an important source of comfort for me to know that, you know, God sees me, he loves me, he knows who I am. And he wrote these words for me to encourage me and then show me the way forward, so. And is... Would it be accurate to say that that is also what gives you the strength to choose hope, as you said earlier in the in the show? Yeah, because I think, you know, when you understand that when you when you understand that there's nothing happening to us or in the world that God isn't in control of it, you know, I don't think he does bad things or make things makes bad things happen. You know, humanity does that. But when you understand he's still in control of our life and still protects us then we have nothing to lose. We're like, I already know who I am and you and that I'm part of your kingdom and that, you know, if I die, my physical being goes, I'm going to, my soul is going to come live with you. There's just, there's no risk anymore. It's just kind of like, okay, God, what do you want to use me for while I'm here? Right. It's all about using me for your purpose. Everything I can do to give you glory, because that's why you designed me to worship you and glorify you. So, so yeah, he does give me the strength and he gives me the grit, I think, and the boldness because I just, feel confident in the promise that I have in him and knowing that, you know, I was designed for a purpose. Like you guys talk about in OS, like we were awesomely and fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew us. He saw us. 
we were knit together in our mother's womb. Like you knew exactly who I was and my weird personality quirks and what I was going to deal with and he's going to use it. And so I'm just like, use me, like, let me do whatever it is that you want because life isn't really that long, you know, and I want to make the most of it while I'm here. And so, and then I just ask him, I'm like, but give me the strength, give me what I need. And it's funny, the times when I'm most strong in him is when I'm the most weak, right? And the Bible says when I'm weak, I'm strong. And so being weak in my own abilities helps me to rely more heavily on his strength and to accomplish things. And I don't care whether it's like a, a press in the gym or sharing my faith or helping somebody navigate their public floor issues. It's always because of him and the strength and the wisdom that he gives me. Cause I ask him, I ask him for it. I'm like, please God. So. Well, I, uh, I'm grateful. Um, like when I, uh, I scroll through Facebook and I try not to look at anything negative, but it's, it's there, right? It's just there. So even if you're scrolling, you catch two or three words, you know where it's going. Um, but in a time where it's not necessarily popular to stand out and to try to shine or to, to let go or to be positive, or to even mention God, I'll be scrolling and I'll see if you, you'll post a verse. And my first thought is, go ahead, Sarah. Like, because it is a bright spot in a sea of other stuff. Um, I'm not necessarily negative, but a lot of it's negative. But again, you, you have this little candle that's shining and just, you know, in, in the Facebook feed. So I, I appreciate that. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. That's very encouraging to me. And I, I don't know. I love that. I love when I see it too. When I see other people, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Good. Cause it's encouraging to us. Right. Too. And I think even to people that don't necessarily believe this is not their belief system. I think sometimes people see that and they are just like, okay, this is serious. This is somebody, this is something, I mean, why believe in God and Jesus if you don't want, like, I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you believe in it, then you should want to tell other people about it, right? Let them know and be like, there is an answer. There's a source here for you, um, source of strength. And that's just kind of how I feel like, because again, right now, I feel like people are looking for answers. And so I hope that um, people find inspiration because the Bible is alive. It's a living, breathing document. It's not just written for old time, right? Like I said, it's yes, same yesterday, today, and forever. So... One, one of the things that I love about the Bible, and I think is extremely relevant for today, from the beginning to the end, almost the first page to the last page, over and over again, it says, do not be afraid. And if we could just, if that's all we took out of that, that book, and, it, and it's in there so many times, it must be important that if we could just not be afraid. And then the other thing it says is to be bold and courageous. And it says that almost as many times as it says, <laughs> don't be afraid. But if we could just take that, oh my gosh. I know you're right. If we literally, if we could spend our entire lives just like focusing on and getting better at being able to do that. I know I could. To, and it, it, it impacts so many areas of your life, right? Like don't be afraid, you know, cause a lot of people are dealing with health issues, chronic disease, um, people are like struggling to lose weight. They're trying to be fit or they're dealing with an injury. They're dealing, you know, in the fitness world, it's just like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, you know, do the work, do what you can within your flesh as best as you can, but don't worry, right? Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition, present your request to the Lord, right? And he, he answers you and he gives you peace too. So I think it's, 
it's a huge piece because I think a lot of people in the fitness and exercise world, we're looking for answers. We're looking for fitness, but we, we are looking for peace and we're looking to be strong so we don't have fear, right? We feel capable. Um, and so I love that I can deliver that too. I want to practically teach people how to be strong and capable and use their bodies so they can do the work that God has them for them to do. But yeah, it's at the end of the day, like there's a lot to be afraid of. So if you think about it, so listening to God and, and giving him your fear, I think is a huge game changer for me. Right on. And on that note, Sarah, thank you so much. This was awesome. Um, guys, if you want to learn more from Miss Sarah Smith, I will put her website and all her links uh, in the notes of this uh, podcast. Um, I encourage you to check out her website. She has a podcast called Dirty Radio. Dirt, it's Dirty Strength Dirty Radio. Strength Radio. Yeah. Dirty Strength Radio. Um, but Sarah is... She's just a really, like I said in the beginning, obviously she's a very smart lady, but she's also got a very big heart. So please check her out. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Tim. I really, really am honored to be here. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Original Strength Podcast.